So they, uh, we, Marion and I once, when we were watching this in college, because we watched this a lot in college, uh, we decided to play a drinking game with this movie. <laughs> so we decided to drink every time someone says Michael in this movie. And it's said 118 times. It was a mistake. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, in which we meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror movie section of our local video store, in our quest to learn how to survive and to ensure we end up as, as the, the final, final girl. girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking each movie down one by one, speaking out over all the ghastly minutia, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Hello. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. We are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording here at the Circus. Uh, this is episode 42, in which we were talking about 1987, The Lost Boys. Yeah, this episode is called, We Trashed the One That Looked Like Twisted Sister. This movie has one of my very favorite taglines. Okay. Sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. It's pretty solid. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Julie's yep. like, sign me up. Sure. I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> Why not? And mainly because of this movie. Because, man, this movie makes look and look. Yeah. <laughs> this movie makes, makes vampirism look like a blast. Yeah. Well, um, and it's also, I think, probably your influence because this movie is like, 80s meets vampires like explosion it's 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 amazing. so 80s tastic yeah, and this, so vampire tastic mm-hmm. and very modern idea of vampires and yeah uh so this uh this movie was that was a mainstay at slumber parties when i was growing up oh, so okay. i rem- i can clearly remember watching this movie several times at okay. slumber parties and beyond uh-huh. um so it, it it's it special plays in my heart <laughs> okay. this movie Um, So this movie was uh, originally written to be uh, younger kids, Mm -hmm. uh, similar like Suspiria, Suspiria, uh uh, where it was kind of a Goonies-y, Goonies kind of like thing, but then they like scaled up to make it sexier. Right. But it was supposed to be like a Peter Pan and the Lost Boys deal. Oh, I was going to say, because they never really allude to the title. And obviously it's, you know, it's sort of very obvious because they're never going to grow up. So they sort of are perpetual teenagers. But yeah, that's, that makes sense. So it's like, he's the leader and like, they're never going to grow up. So that's the Peter Peter Pan. It's Peter Pan as vampires. Yes. Amazing. Interesting. It's a brilliant idea. Uh, Yeah. No, it is a good, it is a good idea. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, substitute out in lieu of Kiefer. No. Because Kiefer's amazing in this. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's an interesting idea. Uh, so this movie uh, was, so Richard Donner produced, Joel Schumacher directed. Okay. Um, so this is pretty soon off the heels of Cinema's Fire. Right. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, but it looks like uh, Mary Lambert of uh, Pet Cemetery fame okay. was going to direct this. But then there was, again, creative differences. Yeah. So... Passed on, <laughs> on to Joel Schumacher because who's going to ramp up the che- scene chewing? I know. Yeah. Joel Schumacher will. Yeah, he will. Um, so the beginning of this movie is uh, basically just right off the bat. It's uh, it's Kiefer and his group of his group of boys. There's three of them. Um, one of whom is Alex Winter mm-hmm. with a mullet. Yeah, the end all mullet. <laughs> yeah, it's like a. Is that a mullet? Like if it goes down past the mid of your back, that's is it like still a mullet. Super mullet. It's super mullet. Okay, because I'm like, at what point is it just sort of like. I don't know, you know, like it's, it's not long it's beyond, all over. It's beyond party in the back. Like it's, it's something else. It's yeah. like 
celebration, (laughs) New Year's Eve craziness in the back. It is. Um, So yeah, it's Kiefer. And then there's three other sort of the other vampires. And they're basically like making trouble at a merry-go-round. And just so cool. And like, they look like they're like out in a music video. They totally do. They look amazing. There's so much like bleach blonde hair and eyeliner and leather. And yeah, but they all look kind of different from each other. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Kiefer is just sort of at his most kind of charismatic menacing you know he doesn't actually have a lot of lines in this movie but he just does he is totally like leader of the pack and they're making trouble on this merry-go-round and they have this great quality where it's like everything they see or touch is kind of vaguely amazing but they're kind of indifferent but like so they see like a pretty girl like sitting next to obviously her boyfriend and Kiefer starts to like inappropriately touch her face and the guy's like just because he can just because he can the boy the like what the hell are you doing and like they start kind of getting into it um and then they're sort of like what but she's beautiful and I can touch her yeah because i can and, and it's just like it's just how teenagers would use vampirism completely. exactly totally. like oh i have these powers and i'm going to seduce this lady right here you want to watch right in front of you yeah. yeah no exactly and i like that just sort of joel schumacher's take is like right out of the gate mm-hmm. like you guys showed up for 80s vampires right out of the gate we're here gonna we deliver. are um so there's a cop who kicks them off the boardwalk for making trouble um and then immediately when everything kind of shuts down he gets it in the parking lot and uh they have this sort of great vampire cam in this movie which they use a few times which is sort of like i suppose it's them flying yes and it's sort but of they like they must fly in a terrifying fashion because they people must. Yeah. are screaming. I mean, like you'd scream if you saw someone flying just because they're flying. But also, yeah. like I guess they're horrible vampires coming at you with fangs, fangs. and claws. I think they vamp out and yeah. then they fly. Right. And so it's like if you're seeing vamped out them and then they're flying. And there's a little, a little noise that goes with it. There's like a vampire flying noise. If there like. is. And then they also do the thing where you know it's sort of like so it's like vampire flying POV and people see them they're like yeah, run away. And then when they catch up with you, they like suck you up in the air. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that. So they don't just like eviscerate you where you stand. You get like sucked up into the air. And so the cop gets like pulled up grabbing the car door with him up in the air. Um, and then we uh, cut to meeting sort of our heroes of the movie, um, which is Diane Weist, uh, play, plays Lucy, is a recently divorced uh, mom, and her two sons are Jason Patrick, who plays Michael, smoldering and trying to be Jim Morrison oh, for all he's worth. I know he's not doing badly. Yeah. And uh, Corey Haim is yeah. Sam. So um, this, this, I was a big Corey Haim fan. He was my number one for a long time growing up, and uh, this is, you know, high, high, high Corey Haim fashion. Yeah, really eighties. Like, mm-hmm. but this is, you know, we talked about with Silver Bullet. Is you have like. Corey Haim, who doesn't know, Corey Haim, who does know, and like Corey Haim knows now. And he's kind of turned into this self-aware, smirky... Yeah. I mean, he's a cute kid, but I will say, I think this is my first Corey Haim film, Mm -hmm. which I saw with you in college. And uh, yeah, it was sort of, I was like, wow, that kid is into himself. And then it was interesting when we go back and we sort of saw some of his other things. I'm like, oh, there was a a journey. Sure. There's a Lucas and a a Silver Bullet. There is. And then there's the the Corys. And this is, of course, the first... (laughs) Corey uh, duo film. Yeah, there is. So um, so they are moving to Santa Carla, um, which uh, we, as we understand, there's uh, uh, they pass a billboard and Michael turns around to look at the back of the billboard and it says, welcome to Santa Carla, murder capital of the world. Um, and there's this great montage to, um, I don't think it's the original version, but it's a version it's of People Echo are Strange. Echo and the Bunnymen. Echo and the Bunnymen doing People are Strange. And it's a great montage of basically you get to know the city of Santa Carla and all the weirdos that inhabit it and also all the missing posters of people who have gone missing in this very kind of strange world. So you have so sort of 80s bikers and goths and punks. And, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful place and it's this mm-hmm. beach and fun, fun, fun all the time, but also 
people die all the time. And there's a lot of missing posters all over the place. So, but they kind of do it in this interesting way where it's sort of in the background. So you can see how sort of Michael and Sam are sort of like, oh, kind of hypnotized by this weird, funky place their mom's making them move to. It was, you know, a little bit different from Phoenix where they, they, mm-hmm. they long for. I don't know. You would long for Phoenix. <laughs> I don't know either, yeah. Sorry, Phoenix. <laughs> Sorry, Phoenix. Um, um, so they go, they're going to go home. They've gotten divorced, going home to live with Lucy's dad, mm-hmm. grandpa. Right. Who playing dead on the porch. What kind of, like, I would not be okay with that joke. Yeah, so they pull in and the grandpa is, like, lying, like, sort of, like, prostrate on the ground. And they run up and they're like, she's like, dad, dad? And then he, like, gets up, like, ha, 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 jokes, you thought I was dead. And I was like, what? Grandpa's got a deal. Grandpa doesn't, well, here's the thing. I think grandpa's deal is that he is meant absolutely to be the red herring for the head vampire. Oh. I totally think this is true. And I think it's nonsense, but I think it explains a lot of sort of the strange plot things that they have him do. Because he's also into taxidermy. And there's sort of, like, a lot of strange things where like he'll say to, like sort of vaguely ominous things to the boys mm. and the boys learn later on that there is a head vampire and I kind of think he's meant to in a slightly lazy screenwriting thing meant to think he could be the head vampire because I don't think we're supposed to be give it away who it is immediately sure even though we kind of do know who it is immediately but um but I think he sort of does a lot of like I think he's meant to be not just like a totally fun figure. Sure. Like no, he's, he's meant to weird. be like there's a deal. Yeah. And I think part of the deal is that maybe he's a red herring for that. Um, uh, I do enjoy it. We get uh, two Texas Chainsaw Massacre jokes in, in when they go into the house uh-huh. uh, about his taxidermy room. Yeah. So mm-hmm. points for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then that night, Michael yeah. and Sam decide to go down to the pier. There's going to be a concert. I wonder if he's going to be at the concert. So excited <laughs> to talk about Timmy Capello. And also because I didn't see this till like, you know, way after the 80s were over. Um, I, my, my jaw was just like, I could like... Good for you, Joel Schumacher. You saw this man and you were like, that man is going to be my lead in my concert sequence. Hell yeah. Good for you. I love this guy so much. <laughs> so he, his name is Timmy Capello and he was actually the saxophonist for Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is his solo show where sure. the crowd's digging him mm-hmm. and he's in purple spandex. He's got chains around his neck and his wrists and his belt. And he's, and he's super greasy. Huge. And he's enormous. like this big ripped muscle bound. Like he's like one of those guys where they're like the inverted triangle, you know, where it's like little bitty waist and like massive he's chest. Enormous. And, and, and he's greased up greasy too. And his hair is all greasy. And he is playing the sax, singing about how he will believe mm-hmm. and shaking his hips like in a I've, way that we, I don't know that men could do. Um, and then you see him doing that move and you're like, what? <laughs> like, and wow. he, and his voice is kind of really amazing. And so afterwards I was like, there's no way that guy can do all of that. Like he's not really playing the sax. He can't possibly be singing. They just got him cause he could do some sweet dance moves. And then we looked him up and it's all him. Yeah. It's all him. Yeah. He's amazing. He's, he's the squonkiest sax player. <laughs> I've ever heard. Yeah. He delights me. Yeah. I love Timmy Capello. No, so he's much. like 1987 wrapped up in a little yeah. bubble just um, there for you. And I and I've listened to that song, you know, a billion times in my life because ever since it came out in 1987, I've yeah. like that song's amazing. Um and it's I always thought it was very uh, like motivational, I still believe. Yeah. Um and then I listened to it recently and then I realized it's super religious. He talks about like 40 days and 40 nights. He talks it like if you listen oh. to it thinking religion and then I was like, okay, got it. Oh, that, oh, it's like faith believe. Yes. Gotcha. So he's like literally talking about God, believing oh, in God. Uh, interesting. Is Timmy Capello super Christian? Does he care? Is this, I don't, I know it's like, I know it's a cover. It's not his original song. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if he's meant to be like a Christian rock star. I don't know. 
But yeah, that's so interesting. Questions we have. I know, but it's like you can't help but be so distracted by like the glory that is him. But the point of the sequence is that during this concert that um, Michael and Sam are attempting, uh, attending, we meet uh, Jamie Gertz, who plays Star. And there's this just amazing, like she kind of runs by in her gypsy skirt and her long hair or whatever and catches Michael's eye. And then like he's staring and then she sees him staring and then she stares and then he turns away and then he looks back, you know, and just pretending like, not to notice it's that he's all staring. like the coy 80s how could boy you tear, girl nonsense. How could you tear your eyes away from Tibby Capello? That's what, I mean, Jamie Gertz is gorgeous, but come on now. <laughs> come on, get your priorities just wait till he's done with the concert and then you can go pursue her. Yeah. And so then she kind of like disappears, you know, kind of mysteriously. Um, and uh, Sam sees Michael see her and then he's like, mm, she ditched you, buddy. Sorry. You know, um, and uh, also during while the boys are at that event, Diane Weist goes off and she walks into a video store because she's looking for a job and she meets super 80s Edward Herman. <laughs> he's such a big guy and they give him such big shoulder pads that yes. he looks like... And the pushed up sleeves mm-hmm. and like those clear glasses yeah. and his like floppy hair. Like he's very 80s too. But she comes in because she had seen a little boy who was lost and was helping to find find his mother. So he he notices the motherly instinct yeah. mm-hmm. in Lucy. It says she has a kind heart and so there's sort of like something kind of cute between them. And uh, Corey also goes into... Um, a comic book shop where there's like two adults sleeping in the corner. So, okay, so this is the frog the frog family. Mm-hmm. So the frog parents, they're always asleep. Yeah. We see them three times uh-huh. in the exact same position, right. asleep. Mm-hmm. What is... Because I think they're, that's why, I think it sort of helps excuse why the boys are allowed to sort of run rampant as they, as they are. And they're also like, they're in it alone. It's sort of like when we talk about that trope of like, parents can't be relied on or trusted or whatever. You have to go do it alone. The Frog Brothers embody that like from the beginning. But I think they sort of show that visually by the fact that they are left alone. Like their parents, they look like hippies. Yeah. So their parents are like these stoned hippies that are just like out of it all the time. So like the boys run the shop. The boys know what the score is in Santa Carla. Like the, the boys are doing everything. The boys are amazing. Oh. And the Frog Brothers are truly a delight this entire film. <laughs> I love that. So we, we in this sequence, Corey Haim is wearing the most horrible set like oh that outfit is atrocious yeah so he's wearing like a floor length striped jacket with pop collar and shoulder pads with a different pattern shirt underneath and like I like to think that Corey Haim they were like you pick the coolest outfit that you can Mm -hmm. think of and wear it and that's what he picked and then when he meets the Frog Brothers he says uh Corey Feldman says just scope in your civilian wardrobe and Corey Hayden's like, pretty cool, huh? And he says, for a fashion victim. And they're just like, snap on him right yeah, off the bat. Uh-huh. And just being very militant and blank-faced, yeah. uh, they let him know that this is uh, just a cover. Yeah. That they're actually dedicated for a higher purpose, right. truth, justice, and the American way. And his weird, like, and for whatever reason, I don't think the other boy's doing this, but Corey Feldman has decided to adopt this weird, gravelly voice. Mm-hmm. I swear the other kid isn't doing it. So I have no idea why Feldman is, like, talking like this the whole, like... He's trying to be an action hero. I it's guess, like, it's like the Christian, other one's not It's like Christian Bale and Batman, like, trying to sound like an action but hero. But at least, like, he's doing it because he has, like, an alias. So he literally is trying to not sound like Bruce Wayne. Like, right. I don't know what Feldman was, like, just trying to sound like he's Rambo. Like, I do, which maybe that is the deal. Like, mm-hmm. it's like the kid has watched too many Rambo movies and then also they know that vampires are real so he's adopted this sort of like persona to seem tougher than he is. I just think it's interesting that he's doing it and the other brother is not doing it. I just can't tell. I, do the, so the Frog Brothers say, you know, we, we know what's going on. We know about the vampires. Right. We, you know, this Santa Carlos full of vampires. They keep trying to give him horror comics. He's not right. into it. Right. Um, are they, do, is this movie their, their first rodeo 
or have they done this before? Because they say they've done this before, but they act like they yeah. haven't done this before. No, I think they're full of shit. Okay. Yeah. I think the fr- the way that it comes across is like, they're definitely like those boys were like, I think they do know the score, um, but I think they're all talk. Like, yeah. I don't think they've ever, you know, sought out Keeper Sutherland and his pack, nor would you, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's you're like, like, ooh, stay away from those guys. 12 years old, yeah. So I think they've never really been in the position to like, actively do something but they've just been doing like recon and like they know the score and they kind of you know they know all the rules they just haven't done anything about it but I think they've pretended that they have so when they finally have to they're just like oh my gosh no you know yeah um so then we also the couple from the merry-go-round um we see again and there's another like vampires coming out of the sky I would just like to say that I would love to be able to laugh as much at a little Lulu comic as she is laughing but she's like so high right you have to be pretty high because it's like wow that that comic book looks amazing but I've never laughed out loud at a comic book ever I don't think but she has a great scream we have a great Mm -hmm. another vampire flying pull back right rip the roof off pluck him then you pluck her and yeah but they that he wanted her why don't they just take her uh well that's the thing it's like i guess he could have he has star so yeah. i mean maybe he just doesn't need like another one but i think it's because they the boyfriend because tried to start david's not them. into excess at all so like <laughs> exactly he's like one goes enough i'm, I'm, a, I'm a one girl at i'm satisfied kind of guy yeah no i think it's just really like they were hungry and also you know screw that guy for like not letting him take her when he wanted to yeah. i think that's i think it's just like simple teenage revenge so uh star is the bait which is used yeah. to lure michael out so they yeah they meet again and she agrees to like oh yeah we'll go on a ride together and i will say michael and star's relationship this movie kind of cracks me up because i swear to god they say like seven things to each other and he's they're desperately in love mm-hmm. and so this this conversation they have where she's like okay yeah i'll go ride with you and they sort of talk about the origins of her name or whatever it's again like seven lines and they never really have a real conversation again at the end of by the movie like no. this is basically it until shit goes down like this is it this is the end this is the totality of their relationship i'm amazed at star's courage really because she knows she's got david like he's gonna fuck up anybody including her like for doing anything and yet she kind of like flaunts michael in his face and Uh i know that like later they're under orders to do what they're doing but like in the beginning they're not and so yeah why do you feel like they would just destroy him and probably destroy Mm -hmm. her for doing what she's doing but he seems to be okay with it like yeah let's play her back and forth yeah no it's interesting too and i do feel like you know a little bit in this movie like certain kind of pairings are a little underdeveloped and I would say that David and stars is one of them we're like you're allowed you know you, you give this movie a lot because the charisma of sort of these kids you know is like really fun but you don't really know what the deal is between the two of them star kind of says what it is later on but you're like what what is David's deal with star like right. is he in love with her like is he is it just like a possession like how long has he been waiting for her to turn you know you think his patience would not be very long but also like she obviously at one point wanted to leave and they got laddie and be Mm -hmm. like okay now she has to stay because she's got to take care of the kid but then also that's the thing so it makes me feel like there's something more going on between star and david than just simply she's hot because it was like if she wasn't into it why wouldn't he just like kill her and move on because like as we'll see david has no problem with killing people yeah so you know it just kind of seems like it's one of those things that you're just like oh that could be a little bit whatever details Um, details well ghastly minutia is what we're into so let's let's talk about darren Star and David. Yeah. Um, uh, so go, basically, Keeper interrupts them, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go for a motorcycle ride. It's very rebel without a cause. It like, is. Let's, I'm going to challenge you, mano a mano. And Michael falls for it, hook, line, and sinker. Oh, peer pressure for teenage boys well, will peer, make you do some stupid, stupid stuff. I will say, I think there's this interesting, sort of, as we were watching this movie, I think in this movie, you know, vampirism is very much kind of an allegory for peer pressure in this film. And I feel what's so interesting about Michael and Sam is that Michael falls for it at every turn 
And Sam doesn't almost immediately. Almost immediately, I think, the, you know, the Frog Brothers are like, nice threads, your outfit sucks, da, da, da. Sam's like, no, nah, I don't care. Like, I look cool. And also, I'm not going to read your comics. And also, you know, and Michael just falls for all of it. Like, anytime Michael is peer pressured to do anything in this movie, mm -hmm. he, he's like, okay, okay, okay. Like, whether it's Star, whether it's David, whether it's, like, bro stuff. Like, he's just so desperate to be cool. Exactly. And so I think that vampirism totally is an allegory for being cool. Because they're it, the convincing him, the getting him to drink the blood, the whatever. It's just, like, join us, join us, be one of the cool kids. Reject the previous life that you knew, which is uncool, because we say so. And, like, come be cool with us. One of us. One of us. It's very one of us, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. They have... My favorite vampire layer on screen. Yeah. Their cool sunken hotel cave, yep. Jim Morrison surfboard <laughs> madness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um every all the all the fires are in trash cans or yeah. in like empty barrels and stuff. And I love that the we have vampires who smoke pot mm -hmm. and eat. Yeah. They're cool with that. They're totally. like, oh, Chinese food, great. Let's, Let's have some Chinese. That sounds good, right? Um, and uh, but then David is sort of so it's so it's again it's one of these like weird bro things where like they almost ride their bikes off cliffs. Like he almost killed them, and then he's like, huh, you want to come to my lair? And then they go to the lair, and then they're all just like, he's like, hey, you want some food? And Michael's like, yeah, all right. I'm like, he almost killed you like two seconds ago. He he, he if you had ridden off that cliff, he would have been delighted. Correct. Yeah. He'd but, been like, but now you're gonna share a meal with him, just like you're all chums. But again, it's because I feel like Michael well, really wants punched, to be cool. He punched him. He got. It out and now yes. they're cool that's I, what you know that's how I know it's work. very I know it's like I punch you you punch me and now we're even we're friends now right okay cool um so yeah so they start eating Chinese food together and he's eating some like fried rice and then uh Kiefer says uh how do you like your maggots Michael uh and he goes mm, and he goes maggots you're eating maggots Michael how do they taste and he looks down and the rice has turned into maggots um, and the same thing with the noodles, like he's eating chow mein and then they turn into worms and then they're just sort of like laughing like they're just kind of playing with him and again Michael like isn't like I'm out of here. You guys are jerks. He's just like, all right. Oh, you're going to give me some mysterious wine to drink right out of a bottle with much fanfare, too much fanfare for a bottle of wine. So it's, it's just like the most, I love how teenage boy their vampire powers are. Yeah. Like that's totally what a teenage boy would do. Like, I'm going to fuck with you. Why don't, uh, let's have some fun. Let's watch him uh, freak out. Yeah. Like how does Michael not run screaming? Yeah. That he can just do that. At a, like, he obviously knows, uh, this guy has superpowers. Like, you Well, I think he's sort of, because they were smoking pot, I think maybe he's meant to think that, like, he's oh, wow. Yeah, like, he's hallucinating. Like, maybe they like, laced it. Yeah, exactly. Something. You know, but, like, but that's also fine, because I'm cool with that, because that's how cool I am, you know? And you're like, all right, Michael. Um, so, yes, with much fanfare, they offer him, they whisper to Marco, who is Alex Winter, uh, to go get a specific wine bottle, and then he brings it over, and then he uh, kind of, again, peer pressures him into drinking it, and Star tells him to not like, said, it's blood. It's blood. He's like, and he's yeah, like, sure. <laughs> yeah, right. And then he takes a massive swig of it. And this is where, this is, uh, you know, the beginning of how Michael will start to turn. And I was a little confused because can that really work? We're okay. Like, yeah. So I'm like, I know we're playing a little fast and loose with how one becomes a vampire in this movie, but uh, I was a little confused upon that when I watched it. I'm like, is that a thing? Can I just, as a vampire, pour my blood into wine and just cork it on a shelf and then give it to you and you can be a vampire? Well, sometimes, you know, it's like a, I drink your blood, you drink my blood kind of thing. Because like in Dracula, he has Mina drink blood from him, his chest. But it always comes out of your body. Right. Like you don't so put I guess, it in something else. I guess you could dilute it into some wine if you wanted to. Okay. And I don't mean, I don't know. Uh -huh. But it is, I, I had never like, I really, this time watching it again was like truly like, all right, let's break it down. Let's see how vampires work in this yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. And there's some inconsistencies. This is a little bit, eh, okay. Well, this at least turns him into a half, right? Because presumably um, later on, uh, Jamie Gertz will say she and Laddie are halves. And so right. it's like, that seems to me like you have 
uh, drunk Michael's blood, I'm sorry, uh, David's blood, but you have not, to complete the process, right. you then need to go drink blood directly out of another person. But being a hand vampire gives you a good deal of, of powers. True. And, and it's the sweet spot, I would think. Yeah, uh-huh. just, I mean, Star has it right. Just kind of stick in that, in that spot. You got some cool powers. So they, uh, we, Marion and I went, when we were watching this in college, because we watched this a lot in college, uh, we decided to play a drinking game with this movie. <laughs> so we decided to drink every time someone says Michael in this movie. And it said 118 times. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. It was a huge mistake. Yeah. We, we pretty early on, we're like, okay, this isn't not going to work. Not no, going to work. Because especially this sequence. This sequence was like, Michael, 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 Michael. Keeper Sutherland says Michael. I think we count, I think we stopped counting it like 70 plus times. For whatever reason, he says, everyone says this character's name, but specifically Keeper Sutherland so many times. It's like, hey, Michael, how do you like your maggots, Michael? The thing is, Michael, also Michael. And yeah. I don't, I don't know if the point of that is like it's meant to sort of hypnotize him into part of the join us, join us, one of us. But I, for whatever reason, his name is said a million. I think Sam has said like four times in this movie and Michael has said a kajillion times. We also tried the drinking game with the outsiders. Um, every time they said man, which was a lot, um, but then it, it ended, it ends real badly. And then we were crying or drunk. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> like, Ralph Macchio. Do it for Johnny, man. Stay cold. Uh, uh, so back to uh, the room. Can I just point out uh, Sam's room in this movie has some fantastic posters. Like the Rob Lowe poster? Yes. So he, Okay. So he's got a Rob Lowe kind of uh, tummy exposed shot. But I think that this is just because Joel Schumacher just did St. Elmo's Fire. So I it's agree. like a joke. Right. We also have a Molly Ringwald, Reform School Girls, a giant swatch. I got one of those. Mm. And... Um, a car with a butt. So he's like not a car I, with a what? Like a like a woman's butt. Like you know those kind oh, of cars gotcha. okay, like in a bikini bending yeah, over yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of eighties. Okay. <laughs> those are so Uh huh. Um, yeah, so basically, like, yeah, so Michael falls for it, uh, drinks the bottle, you know, kind of wakes up, sort of, like, not really knowing kind of what's going on, but he has already kind of started to turn, and so there's this, uh, there's this sequence where, uh, Sam is taking a bath, um, he does that goofy little singing. That song's awesome. <laughs> so funny. Um, and Michael feels the urge to kind of come up and... So now, the, here's the question with this. So, like, they get Grandpa out of the house, Grandpa's got a date with the Widow Johnson, there's the aftershave Windex sequence, which yep. is gnarly. Yep. Um, and then, so Michael's just drinking some milk and then all of a sudden just like freaks out and starts like has to have killed now. Yeah. So what is that? Like your vampireness just comes randomly. I think it's meant to be that the milk, it like, it does it does like, that's not, he reacts to drinking milk. I think the way that people would react if you were starting to drink a carton of blood. I don't even think he gets it up to his mouth. It's like almost like. I thought he started to drink it. Um. Maybe not. Because the guys eat Chinese food. So like he should be able to eat food. Yes, but they've already completed the cycle. Like, okay. they're fully in. So I think when you're in this weird in-between state, um, when he tries to do normal stuff, but all of a sudden he feels it, and he feels the need to go upstairs to Sam and maybe attack Sam. And they have a really cute dog named Nanook, mm-hmm. um, who, because dogs know what up, um, and they, uh, they uh, he jumps him and bites him. Um, and Sam gets really mad, like, what are you attacking my dog for? And... Um, and then because they've been, uh, the Frog Brothers have been kind of filling Sam's brain with all this like vampire stuff. There's a weird sequence where Michael starts floating out the window. Well, he fades in the mirror first. He yeah. sees that. And Sam sees that he's a vampire. And then is like the, the reflection in the mirror. He's like, all right, you're a fucking. You're a bloodsucker. Tell mom. I'm going to tell mom. Uh, goddamn shit sucking vampire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then he goes back to panic, panicky call, you yeah. know, and, and yes, Michael starts to float. And then and what's the floating thing? I don't know because it's like he floats up to the ceiling and then he tries to get out through the window, which you think 
you're just a gonna, terrible idea. A terrible idea because you're just going to float up yeah. off into nothingness. And then you I was in space. You can't control it. But then he kind of can control it, sort of. Yes. I think is it meant to be because they have flying powers? And he and just doesn't so... know how to do it yet. Yes. But you'd think like one, like I understand like he's asleep, he'll float up. But then when he wakes up, you'd feel like you'd have some sort of yeah. control. And then when do you start? When do you stop? Why do you? Yeah. So basically Sam sees him floating outside the window um, and, uh, and you know, pulls him in and he's sort of like, okay, well, you're my brother. I think I'll try and help you through this. And so Michael then immediately beetles it back to the sweet vampire uh, hangout grounds and uh, <laughs> starts talking to Star about like, what's happening to me? What's going on? And then they just immediately do it, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is like, which is what he wanted in the first place. I know, place. but which is also like, you've said seven things to, your, your, to each other. And then also... Like, what the hell happened to you? Oh, okay, I guess we're going to do this instead. And they do. And then um, and then I feel like later when they sort of see each other, it's sort of like that never happened. Mm-hmm. Like, they kind of go right back into sort of the accusatory mode that they probably ought to have done. But it's just, you know... Jamie Gertz and Jason Patrick, we're gonna we're just gonna make them do this, and it's this ridiculous like '80s love scene with like the score and then the like they're doing it behind like these sort of cur- white curtains. It's just ridiculous. It's it's <laughs> I it's know Joel Schumacher tastic. I know I know it really is. Um, and then they uh, there's a kind of a brief scene where uh, Lucy goes to visit Max. And his dog, Thorn, attacks her, like runs after her and like jumps her and attacks her and, and like kind of out of the blue. Um, and so she's like, mm, that's but kind luckily, of luckily Sam's reading that exact second about the hounds of hell. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, can, I, can I ask? So then we have a, we, we also have a sequence of uh, Edward Herman when he comes back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a kite that comes in that's like a vampire bat. And then like the motorcycle noises like yeah. start to scare him. What is that about? I don't know because nothing comes of that. Mm-mm. There's another one too like that where uh, uh, Michael and Sam are in their house and they hear the motorcycle noises right. and all that kind of stuff and nothing shows up. It's a cool trick. It's a, it's a cool trick, but you're just like, what is is that, that just David trying to be like? But why would he do it to Max? I don't know. Okay. Couldn't tell so, you. So uh, then Max uh, comes over for dinner. Right. With Lucy. Lucy. Uh, where And he, Sam has invited the Frog Brothers. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael invites uh, Matt. Max says, you're the man of the house. I won't come in unless you invite me. Mm-hmm. So uh, Michael does. invites him in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the grandpa red herring thing, I don't think is right. Because in this sequence, grandpa totally fucking knows who Max is. Uh-huh. You see him see him, and you see him know who he is, uh-huh. and then, like, close himself in the door. So it's like, I never really realized how much, like, Grandpa totally fucking knows what's up, and he knows, like, Max is the head vampire. He knows. Like, yeah. And he just doesn't do anything about it. Right, but I think that's, but I think the fact that he sees, you know, Max come over and then closes the door for, like, weird creepy privacy plays into the red herring, mm. because it's like, he's now participating, like, oh, I'm going to go do mysterious things behind closed doors that I I, you're not going to know about. And also, because they make such a point of Sam and the Frog Brothers are like, I think it's Max. I think Max has to be the head vampire. And then they do all the things to cr- try and catch him out, and none of it works. Holy so they, water, garlic. Garlic in the food, the whole mirror up to his face, the whole bit, and none of it works. So I think at that point, I mean, again, I, I think we're supposed to be like, well, if it's not Max, then I guess it is Grandpa, because he's the only well, tremendous we, we just think it's left. David, mainly, because that's the only yeah. vampire, head vampire we see. No, that's true. Um, um, so then uh, the boys take Michael mm-hmm. to a punk rock bonfire where they're going to reveal <laughs> which their... michael totally goes along with and i'm like you they've turned you into a half vampire sir like what are you doing he's such a sheep i know he is that's the thing i'm talking peer pressure man he just falls for it um yeah there's this crazy like beach bonfire biker massacre 
They um, finally reveal their vamp faces and and go out there and have a little bit of a dinner. Yep, they nosh on some heads. And... Uh, yeah. So the okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna confess something a little bit creepy here. Okay. Um, so I can remember watching this movie specifically at slumber parties, uh-huh. and I liked this sequence because when Give Yourself Something bites into the guy's bald head, there's like a spurt of blood that comes out, and there's a noise that sounds like an apple kind of crunching. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And I thought it was hilarious, and so, so that funny. it always made me laugh, uh-huh. and then people would look at me like I was fucking crazy because you shouldn't be laughing at that because you shouldn't be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of psycho I am. <laughs> Confession funny. from Julia. I'm a psycho. Um, but. It's a pretty satisfying sound, though. Like that is, if you had to put your fangs in someone's skull, I guess that might be the noise. Because is this? Do you actually see anybody's neck get bitten in traditional vampire fashion in this film? Because like they do a lot of like so rim, limb ripping and yeah. head crunching. And- no, and maybe not. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I sort of like about it because it's sort of you know the way that teenagers would do this, and who knows how long they have been teenagers. Um, they're just going crazy. Like they're not sort of doing it in this sort of seductive, easy, like, and you know, Keeper says it at the end, like they're killers, like mm-hmm. they're, they're killers, they're murderers. It's not just about being vampires. Like they literally enjoy ripping people apart. Mm-hmm. Like that's not only does it satiate them and all their like vampiness, but it's fun for them. Um, and I think that's finally when Michael's like, all right, I'm out. Like this is cause he, he turns when he's doing it, like seeing the bloodlust, right. but he doesn't, he doesn't want to participate. He's not going to do the kill. I just, what's interesting is even the leading up to that biker thing. I just like that he finds Kiefer and doesn't ask him any questions. You know, he goes to star and he's like, what the hell's going on? And all of, you know, and like David's the one that turned you and he's just like, no questions, just falls into the bonfire. Just, but yeah. this is finally the moment where they're like, all right. That's it. We've had it. And so Sam has told the Frog Brothers that he thinks uh, uh, David uh, my, uh, Michael's a vampire. And initially, they're just like, kill your brother. You'll feel better afterwards. Yeah. But he's like, no, I'm not doing it. He's only a half. Well, we'll do it. We'll do it. And then it, that, that's when they bring up the ideas of, like, you have to find the head vampire. And if you kill him, then the rest will go. Um, and so they go back to their super cool lair. Um, and they sneak in. And, uh, and again, I love that the Frog Brothers are all like, braggadocia in this sequence where they're just like this is how you do it you know sometimes when vampires die they explode sometimes when they die they cry and they're so, such dorks you know what i mean I'm like you guys don't know anything um but of course they have to rescue uh, laddie and star right before they do any because they're only halves yeah so the plan is like michael's like i'm gonna get them out you guys go kill some vamps and uh they go and they find them in this little area where they're hanging upside down bat style can i just say that um sam says as he's going into there i'll be right back does no, you shouldn't say. Then he says, I hope. Okay. Does that cancel out the I'd be right back? Because he oh, does come back. Uh-huh. Uh, but yes, very cool. Hanging up like bats, which I don't think yep, you with see. like little bat feet. Bat feet. Yep. Because mm-hmm. the, the cave is one big coffin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it. They go through a layer of flies. Then they go through like a horrible smelling area. Yeah. And then they find like the that is very, coffin. That is very cool. Yeah. Because yeah. you have that sense too that it's like it looks all it looks all kind of fun and games. But there's sort of this part of like being a vampire that's kind of gross. Yeah. And you have to kind of deal in grossness kind of quite a lot. Um, and where they sleep is always pretty gross. Yeah. Pretty gross. Yeah. Um, uh, so the, so sadly, first Marco is the first one oh, to get it because they're trying to. They're like, which one's the head one? And they don't really know. And also because Michael's not there with them to be like David is the clearly the leader. So they just pick which one. Is maybe a flaw in the plan. But yeah, I think so. So they just pick one, and uh, Marco's the one that's closest to them. So they stake him, and like all this like goo and it's like sparkly. It, yeah, like explodes out of them and like douses them. They're like. Ah! like all over and it's, it's really funny and then of, but of course as it always does it wakes up the other ones of course who then go crazy and 
and then because there's no exit strategy they just start panicking and they're covered in goo that's because they're like 15 year old boys so they're like we'll go in we'll do this thing they don't think about getting out again uh, not at, at all, all. Yeah. i like that joel schumacher didn't do straight up like just red blood it's kind yeah. of like a mauvish orangish uh-huh strange color like surreal it's kind not of. blood it's just kind of goo yeah stuff stuff vampire stuff vampire stuff that apparently out. well see now this is just no because you they go outside and you can see the blood on them and the blood is sparkly they did yeah. put glitter in the blood mm-hmm. so it's like you have the the twilight vampires that sparkle on the outside and you have lost boys vampires that sparkle on the inside that's interesting okay yeah just a little vampire observation for you folks. maybe that's it, like if you're gonna do cool modern vampires glitter somehow has to be involved uh-huh. like that's the lesson that we've learned um so they get out by the skin of their teeth and i love how when they're getting out the frog brothers are immediately like turning on each other and like throwing accusations like you should have this oh shut up and they get in the car and they jet off and then they send grandpa off um to the widow johnson again and they do the full house barricade because they know they're coming yep um and so they create a bathtub full of holy water and garlic um and they like lock all the doors and everything and they, they try have, and keep they have water guns with holy water and mm-hmm. they're like they're setting up for the finale right and i i love that this you know 80s movies you have to have the big finale and like this one doesn't skimp on the finale like, and there's like the montage leading to the finale of course uh-huh the pre- pre- preparation montage mm-hmm. uh you get you get some some gnarly gnarly deaths. It's yeah. really great. So they uh, the vampire first vampire uh, explodes out of the fireplace. Right, comes down through the chimney. Well, which done. I guess you don't need permission to come in through the chimney. No, because they set the chimney on they set the fireplace on fire. He comes out from under it somehow. I oh, believe. okay. Like I don't think the he, flume? I don't think he comes down. Oh, okay, got it. Uh, but they they get so then it's just chaos vampire chaos they get everybody gets separated the frog mm-hmm. brothers are upstairs with the with the one who looks like twisted sister yes <laughs> um and that one uh ends up getting it into the bathtub where he sort of dissolves and explodes and then when he's dying in there and it's like the screaming whatever death like the pipes in the bathroom like explode in blood all, all over the house it's, it's just, just like raining vampire wow goo. um and then there's another one that they get uh with the bow and arrow uh, and the arrow impales him and it lands him in the stereo, yep. which then turns on rock music and is shooting sparks. And Corey Haim is his ridiculous death by stereo line. I love uh, they, when they when they reconvene the Corys and the, 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 they one of them, uh, we totally annihilated his night stalking ass. <laughs> Corey Feldman, we are awesome monster bashers. <laughs> They're just like just so excited. Such nerds. Um, so basically it leads up to uh, just David and Michael being left. So they have a big like come at them in sort of almost Matrix style, fly in the air towards each other, uh, have a big vamp fight. And then uh, David gets impaled by some of the antlers in the grandpa's taxidermy room. Um, and I love how all the rest of them get these really ugly, horrible deaths. And David gets like the most beautiful death where it's like he gets impaled. So the antlers are like through his stomach. And then he turns back into like his non-vampy self. And this like dramatic light and this sort of like choral music plays. so it. beautiful. You know what I mean? Like he's so beautiful in death um whereas everyone else was like you know like yeah he just kind of kind of quietly goes um but michael once david dies michael does not change out of his half vamp self so um, who is the head vampire so if it's not david vampire. um ding dong here comes max um and so yeah max shows up and again i think it's really cool because edward herman is such a you know kind of a jovial sort of like kind of an avuncular figure where you're like, aw, he's so nice. And um, and then he's like, oh, no, he's the head vampire. And he turns and uh, Michael comes charging him and he's fully vamped out too. Um, and I love when he charges him that he has his arms outstretched, like, come here. Like, I can't mm-hmm. wait to fight you. 
And so they have a big fight. And then because uh, uh, Max has the idea of he wants to have a family. He wants Lucy. Yes. And now Lucy can be his bride. But Lucy's not going to come if Michael and Sam aren't there. Yeah. So he'll get them involved. And then everybody's happy. Yeah. Because he wants Which to make. kind of romantic and sweet, even though. Yeah. Well, and also I think, too, that there's um, y- you have to have that situation set up where he wants her to choose to be with him. Right. We're like, I have your son. I'm definitely going to break your son's neck. Or, and he like has the outstretched hand, like come join me. And she's like, okay. And he's like, don't do it, mom. Don't do it. And like, but of course you would. Yeah. As, as a mom, you would of course do that. Do you think they named her Lucy from Bram Stoker's Dracula? I do. Okay. And they felt like Mina would be kind of too weird of a name. So they just picked that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so there, so there he is like kind of enticing Lucy and she's going to do it. Like yeah. she looks like she's going to make that choice. But luckily grandpa comes to the rescue. Um, and so he comes and he dri- drives his truck um, through the house and there's like, what was it, like a big pole or something? Stake impales uh, Max, who explodes into fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Michael is restored. And so, it, and then Laddie and Star are restored to their non, non-half vamp selves again. Um, and uh, and do, it's, do you oh. think that Michael and Star will stay together? No, I okay. don't. Yeah. After you've been through that, though, you'd be like, you know, we have this like in common now, this big trauma that we have can bring us together. They probably need to say more than seven things to each other before <laughs> before they're, you know, I could see that. Also, I just feel like for them, I feel like Star and Laddie are like, we're getting the hell out of Santa Carla. Yeah. Like, I'm not staying here. Like, this is, this place is terrible. Um, but I, but the ending of this movie is kind of funny because you have this sort of like line where grandpa says one thing. So they all, they're like, oh, you know, and everyone's kind of covered in you know, ash and goo and blood and whatever. And, and grandpa kind of gets out of the truck and, you know, goes to the fridge and it's like, get himself a beer or whatever. And, and they're like, dad, grandpa. And he just says, oh, one thing I can never stand about Santa Carla, all the damn vampires. Mm-hmm. Like he knew the whole time. And then on their faces, it just like goes to black. It is like, Oh, oh. Yeah. And the end. Movie. 80s vampires. Uh, one of my favorite vampire movies. Yeah. Oh, really? I really think it's got pretty much everything you need in a vampire movie. They go the extra mile. They're, they're really like mm-hmm. into the whole lore. We, we got the garlic. We got the mirrors. We got yeah. the, you know, like holy water. We like, we got all of it. And like I think creating the... its own little rules. So okay. Well, fair play. So now that we know, to the, come to the end. So was the blood in the bottle David's blood or Max's blood that, that Michael drank? Oh, you mean does it ha- I thought they said it was David's blood. They say it's David's blood, but if it's supposed to be, is it can be any vampire you I drink see. another, or is it supposed to be the head vampire? Okay, if it was the head vampire, then maybe I would. That makes more sense to me. Because, that it was yeah, Max's blood. That exactly. He drank that, right. That they just have this bottle hanging around. Exactly, and it's like on standby, um, okay. just to turn whoever they want to turn. Because yeah. Michael looks like he should be part of them. Like I'm sure they saw him and like mm, I don't like you hitting on my girlfriend, but you look phenomenal for our band. So yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> but you know, like I, you know, it's hard because you wouldn't. I would think like David and his gang would fucking hate Michael and then you realize like oh Max has told them like oh you have to bring him in now so now they kind of have so that makes sense of the like hate love relationship they have where like David's fucking with him because he doesn't like him but he's gonna have to come on board so there's a lot of unseen conversations in this movie that Mm -hmm. I would like to see and Mm -hmm. part of it was like I would really like to see more of like Max and David which you can't because we would totally give it away Um, but you know Kiefer is such a badass in this movie Mm -hmm. and again Edward Herman is just like he is not the leader of a group of boy vampires but yet he totally is and so kind of seeing seems 
between them would be really interesting. Yeah, because I, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland in the like mid to late '80s is really something to behold. Like it's you like have untouchable. Him, it's like Stand by Me, kind of Ace Merrill as the leader of this group of like of like JDs, and then you're like, oh, let's kick him up a notch. And not only is the lead, he's psycho, he has so powers. psycho, he's a vampire. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, no, definitely, and it's great because you have you can t- you can tell that like when he was turned that like Max saw him and was like that kid like that little shit like yeah. I'm gonna make him you know and basically like just use him for whatever I want sure um, yeah because he's insane um so gore factor for this uh one is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup two a puddle of blood three enough blood to gross out the average viewer four bathtub of blood and five is run for the bar fag and we gave this a four a bathtub of blood bathtub of blood yeah I mean there are things exploding in blood heads so. exploding yeah. whatnot I think it's really for that biker bonfire massacre oh it's, yeah it's pretty good that's pretty pretty gross uh, so for the movie rating one to five chainsaws one if you're desperate two barely qualifies as a horror film three seen worse seen better four not too shabby five fantastic oracle this gets a five from me. Fair play. I, I gave it a four and a half. I was I was pretty close. Um, it's it is a lot of fun, and I will say I think a lot of the uh, credit goes to Keeper Sutherland. Yeah. Honestly, as like the head vampire because he's great. Like he totally knows what movie he's in. But it's sort of like that thing with Stand by Me where he talks. Remember that he has that great line where he says that he's a if either of you had five thousand dollars, I'd kill you both. And you're and like. You're like yeah. yeah, you would. You, he would completely kill them. He has that quality where, you know, there is like, it is it is a lot of fun. But when he kind of, he's like, we're killers and it's awesome. Join us. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like that, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it is a lot of fun. So, and so, Timmy Capello is incredible. So why the four and a half, not a five? I guess, honestly, from, you know, you this hits all the marks for you as far as vampire movies. I, I like it all a bit more gothic. That's just always okay. kind of my default. So I, I prefer kind of more of the Bram Stoker, like, original lore, the seductive quality, you know, what people, the, the allegory being less so for peer pressure and more about sort of sexual repression right. and sort of that kind of thing. I, I just think that's a lot more interesting, but, um, but this movie is a lot of fun. I'm not yeah, going to lie. If eighties is your bag, this is, this is totally it for you. Yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, why not? But yeah, no, you, you better fix that. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. We've had so much fun talking about Lost Boys. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on online and mm-hmm. talk to us as much as you like yeah. or uh, not at all. <laughs> if that's your Don't do want. that. Yeah. Tell us what you think about Timmy Capello. <laughs> oh, Timmy Capello. Uh, so next week, uh, we're going to start a round of uh, sequels. I mean, it's that time. We, we got to start. We got so many sequels to get through. It's a huge part of the horror movie genre. How? What sequels, what, 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 what makes a sequel necessary? What makes a sequel totally unnecessary? Necessary, what works, what doesn't. Yep. So we've picked a group of four that all do it very differently. Yes. Um, so yeah. So we will be starting with Halloween two, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, we'll talk about it yeah, next week. You'll, you'll have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. Have a good one. We'll see you next time. Ready to survive.